Good afternoon. Welcome to the panel. Wallace Chapman here, Jenny Morton and Michael Moynihan joining me this afternoon. Great to have your company. Now, if you are listening, your street is affected in Christchurch. Let us know here on the panel what are you experiencing. Text me 2101. Someone's just texted to South Canterbury. Terrible surface flooding, heavy snow in the Mackenzie Basin, just the usual mix of chaos we have come to expect down here. So to Christchurch, where heavy rain has caused flooding and closed roads in Christchurch, the Avon and Heathcote rivers have burst their banks in places. Meanwhile, residents at a settlement on the banks of the Opihi River north of Timaru are being evacuated for the third time in less than a week. There are heavy rain watches and warnings in force for the Tasman District, Marlborough, Canterbury, North Otago and Dunedin. I just see here an update of the New Zealand Defence Force personnel are on standby in a saturated Dunedin. And it was high tide in Christchurch at 3pm. So to give us an update, we're joined by the Christchurch City Councillor of the Kashmir Ward, Tim Scandrit. Welcome, Tim. Hi, Wallace. How are you? Very good. How are you? How bad is it looking? Oh, look, it's, uh, let's be honest, it's very, very damp. Um, it's probably mm. one of the wettest Julys we've had for many decades. But, you know, the network is holding up, but um, there is flooding. There's no question about that. Any damage to speak of so far? Um, there's been no above-floor flooding which, uh, that I'm aware of, which is a huge release, relief. We've, um, As you know, over the last few years, we've put in retention basins right up to the top of the Heathcote catchment, and they're working really well. We've only got one to complete, and we're wanting to complete that next year. So uh, okay. that's doing its job. Yes, I, because there has been quite a lot of work done to mitigate the risk of floods. So it has been, uh, it's been working, and is it future-proof for the next few years? Look, we're only going to be able to future-proof for a period of time, I believe. But, you know, we're not going to solve the flooding. We're going to ease it, yeah. and that's what those retention basins are for, to, to ease the First flush. I mean, you know, they were full the other day. We've had a few days of respite between the rain events, and uh, we, we were able to um, release water from them, and they're working again now. So it's a, you know, it, it's a bit of luck comes into it with Mother Nature, doesn't it? Yeah. Someone says, let everyone know the Esk River is about to burst onto yeah. the Blue Cliffs Road. I mean, it's quite uh, the images I'm seeing here, both on the RNZ site um, and just in general social media. There's some pretty significant flooding. Eh? It's a real concern for those who, you know, have to face this uh, again and again. Absolutely. We've bought some houses out. We had a policy. Um, to um, buy the houses along the Heathcote that were above full flooding, which we've done. We've um, we've got a huge amount of uh, flooding on the roads, and basically all the terraces and parts along the Heathcote River are closed, and, and also part of the Avon around, around the Avon as well. So you know we, we're doing the best we can. The, the the roads are designed to flood. You know they're, they're really not a worry. But uh, yeah, I just hope that we don't get sightseers. And if you do have to drive in those areas, please go slowly because we just don't want those pressure waves going onto people's property and adding to their stress levels. All right, good advice, Tim. Kia ora. thanks for that. That's the uh, Kashmir Ward uh, Christchurch City Councillor. But uh, certainly looking at these images, Jenny the, and Michael, uh, really significant and n- not nice if you're in the midst of it at all. Yeah. Jenny. Uh, no, no it's, it's, it's raining 
a lot. I've got to say that. Like, you know, I, yeah. we're talking about the weather in the office and we're like, oh, the, the flooding's terrible and, you know, sick of the rain. But it's we're lucky. We're sitting inside in a nice warm office and we don't have mm. to go out all day. But it is, it's, you know, it's been raining really hard. And I've, I can't remember it ever being like this for weeks on end, which is we're sort of into our mm. third or fourth week of these heavy rain systems coming through. With us now is Angela to tell us uh, what she is seeing there. Angela, welcome. Hi, how are you going? Very well. So you're what, at the Esk River, where are you? Um, so we're located, um, I'm just come down to the bottom flat on Bluecliffs Road. So people who live at St Andrews and Inland probably know the road. And there's water, the Esk Valley's come right up and actually Ed Cannon just pulled up at the minute. So um, yeah, we're kind of just figuring out what we're going to do at the minute. I didn't expect you guys to ring, actually. <laughs> well, well, it's lovely of you to sort of keep us informed because, you know, you're, you're the ears and eyes on the ground. So in terms of it's about to burst into Blue Cliffs Road, what does that mean yeah. for that thoroughfare? Um, so we, so there's a, a single-lane bridge at the top of Blue Cliffs Road that um, uh, they've actually just tried to repair and my husband's just outside in the tractor at the minute. So it's just water coming um, across, I don't know if it's a bank, but it's just the lower end of um, the Blickless Road single-lane bridge, and we've got free-range pork, so we're just deciding what we're going to do with the scales at the minute oh. um, and shift them to a higher ground. But Ecan have just pulled up, so... Hang on a minute, Hamish. Talking to Wallace. Chapman on the panel. That's us. That's yeah. us, Angela. Yeah, sorry, Wallace. No. Carry on. No, no, no. <laughs> All right, look, um, hey, look, stay safe, and thank you very much uh, for the update, Angela. I hope you get that delivery through uh, on, uh, on Blueclist Road there at some stage. Yeah, well, I just hope maybe um, if people are crossing that single-lane bridge at the top of Blueclist Road, they just might want to check because the river's pretty high, and I know the ECAM were fixing that um, just the other week. Look after our animals, really. That's number one, I think. Yep. Very good, Angela. Thanks for letting us know. Kia ora. That's... Oh, thanks for ringing. <laughs> yeah, no, pleasure. All right, so uh, that's the uh, that's the Esk River there about to burst onto the Blue Cliffs Road. So you've heard it here on the panel. Um, do make a note of that uh, single lane uh, bridge there. Uh, do be very safe. I do believe that ECAN is there right now. It's 14 past four. You're on the panel, RNZ National. So, look, on the back of the weather, you'd be forgiven for wondering what's going to happen to your insurance premiums. There will be an increase in the EQC cap, resulting in a greater share of natural disaster risk from private insurers from October the 1st. There have been rising reinsurance costs because of the likes of flooding and fire. But what do we need to be mindful of with our insurance? With us is Tim Grafton from the Insurance Council. Kia ora, Tim. Uh, kia ora, Wallace. So you'd be listening to the panel this afternoon, hearing these uh, weather-related stories, significant flooding, and people now will be wondering what my insurance will cover if any damage. What do they need to be mindful of? Oh, look, if you're being affected by flooding, um, put your safety uh, first. <laughs> so uh, get yourself out of harm's way. Uh, if your house is flooded, remember electricals uh, yeah. could be uh, live and dangerous. Um, your vehicles, if they've been flooded, uh, braking systems could be damaged, so they, they may be uh, risky as well. So put your safety first. Uh, uh, 
when you can, uh, you might have to do some emergency repairs uh, to make yourself safe uh, or your family safe. Uh, but get in touch with your insurer as soon as you can uh, and get the uh, process of uh, uh, getting the assessment of damage uh, underway. That's a very interesting point, Tim. Something that you see, I've never been in a flood. So that notion about electrical issues, that would have to be top of mind. Yeah, electrical issues. Uh, and then, uh, you know, over time, just tr- through the dry out period, uh, it's absolutely critical, particularly if you're in a wooden home, uh, that if the water's been up above the, uh, the floor levels, uh, that we've got to uh, guard against uh, mould uh, right. and clearing out uh, silt and, uh, and any debris that's underneath the, the house as well, letting it dry out. Uh, so it can be repaired. Uh, it can't be repaired sometimes if moisture levels are too high. So there's a, a long process uh, that can follow these events, uh, mm. and there are obviously you know delays in construction supply chain issues as well. And we've had multiple events that puts everybody under stress and pressure. Jenny. Yeah, I th- look, the whole thing about the insurance thing too is that, you know, we talk about the building costs going up and the cost of repairs and et cetera, and which is why our policy costs might be going up. It's really important for people to remember that the valuation that you put to repair um, your house on your insurance policy maybe one, two, five years ago, you need to be making sure that you're keeping that up to date with the true cost of reinstating your home. And I think it's just one of those things, the bill comes through and we grumble about it, but we pay it. And do we really think about what that underlying valuation on our homes is? And really, I think that's why we brought you on the panel as well, Tim, because it might be quite realistic that many listen to this t- today, this afternoon, um, their insurance would be really out of date? Well, uh, it's quite possible. Uh, People may be just uh, on autopilot and just uh, don't uh, review things on renewal time. Uh, So, yeah, uh, I mean, Jenny's made a really good point there. When you've got uh, double-digit building inflation uh, occurring and you've got supply chain delays, which means repairs can take a lot longer, then clearly uh, costs, uh, if you had a total loss for your property, you really do need to be trying to uh, get that uh, uh, cost uh, estimate uh, much closer and don't let it as a sort of an auto reset. Uh, You know, if building inflation's been in double digits for the last uh, 12 months, then that's only telling you what's in the rear vision mirror. Uh, you've got to look also ahead of, for the next 12 months as to where that's going as well. So if you had a million-dollar property and you had 15% or 18% double-digit building inflation in terms of a total loss, that's a $150,000 difference oh. just on the past 12 months without Gosh. looking ahead for the next 12 months. Michael. Yeah, can I, I'd have to say that I'm quite guilty of really not understanding how best to ask the questions around what I might need to value things at. So what am I looking for? What would I be asking my insurance agents? Uh, I look at it and I think, well, I don't know whether that would replace the house. I've got a, you know, turn of the century cottage. So therefore there's a whole lot of stuff that you'd never replace because you'd never be able to. What, What, how do I, how do I judge what it is I should be asking for and therefore insuring? Yeah, um, so uh, there are at the basic level, uh, you can go on to uh, calculator sites that insurers provide that you know, answer a whole bunch yeah. of questions and an algorithm spits out an estimate. Uh, that oh, is, good. Uh, 
but having said that, uh, that that's giving you a uh, you know a pretty good guide, but it's not giving you the complete picture. If you really want to invest in getting a quantity surveyor onto the property, looking at the property and actually assessing what it would cost to totally replace that property, that is going to give you a much better, more accurate uh, estimate for someone who's been on the ground and had a look uh, rather than an algorithm uh, determining uh, what it might be. Um, the algorithms are pretty good, uh, but they're not as good as somebody on the ground with some expert uh, assessment but, but, of, of replacement costs. But they definitely give me uh, opportunity to look at it and say, oh my gosh, I'm a long way out, even if I then might want to go and get a another more detailed um, description or detailed um, valuation at some other point. That's really good advice. Thank you. I, I look at it each time and I think I yeah. really don't know how to judge it. Yeah, very good. And Tim, well, someone said, Dean says, who's a claims insurance pro in Ototahi? Uh, following on from Mr. Grafton, take photos and videos safely because mm. that'll assist you with showing damage and cause. So good, handy tip there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, that's something I should have said. Uh, taking photos of the damage, uh, where the water came up to uh, and gone away. You know, in events like this where they're affecting many thousands of people around the country, uh, then it may take time to get out uh, to see people. But if you've taken photos and you can send the photos to your insurer, you can get that process going. And if you've got damage to property, again, um, you might have stuff that's been sodden inside. Uh, there may have been, uh, unfortunately, in some areas, you know, uh, wastewater through uh, the yeah. property. So cleaning it out, making it healthy to to, to be there and if you have to get rid of say carpets that have just been absolutely sodden then taking pictures and providing the evidence that the damage was from flood is just going to help immensely in terms of that uh, assessment and settlement process. All, all good stuff to know Tim thanks for being with us Okay, That's, uh, Tim Grafton from the Insurance Council, they're 22 past four, just that uh, word uh, we heard five minutes ago, uh, letting everyone know. This is from our wonderful listener, Angela, that the Esk River, this is the, this is the Waimati district, it's about to burst the banks onto uh, Blue Cliffs Road there. So do stay safe there. Here on the panel, RZ National, Michael Monaghan and Jenny Morton with me today. Now, your uncle points you to a Facebook uh, post, which is a must-read, according to your uncle, purporting to explain all about COVID. Well, the shift to online platforms is concerning Kiwis over the accuracy of information they are consuming. New research by the Broadcasting Standards Authority this year explored public views on accuracy with participants expressing doubts over the reliability of social media sources and more trusting of organisations known for verifying their sources. This against the backdrop of a proliferation of online misinformation. One person who's looked quite closely at this issue is politics professor at Massey University, Richard Shaw. Professor Shaw, welcome to the programme. Sure, Wallace, how are you? Very well. So on the face of it, accuracy and where the information came from is very much valued by Kiwis, at least by this litmus testing survey? Yes, that's the takeaway from the latest annual report from the BSA, I think. Um, Wallace, to go back to your 
your fictional example of the uncle or the grandfather or whoever it was flicking you something <laughs> on Facebook saying you absolutely have to read this. What What's really positive about this research, I think, is that the person who got that is likely, according to these data, to say to themselves, well, let's have a wee think about the veracity or the accuracy of this. So in many respects, it's quite a it's quite a positive result in the sense that um, that research spoke with 580 people. It was a mix of qualitative and quantitative questions. Um, people are thoughtful and they're reflexive and they're mindful of some of the challenges with misinformation and disinformation. So in that regard, it's um, it's it's optimistic and it's positive. Okay, I'll get the panel to jump in on this one, Michael. Um. Yes, absolutely. I completely agree. I think there's a lot of misinformation. I think it's very difficult to judge what's good and what isn't. And I think it's really, um, uh, I think it's, I think it's, it, it appears to be getting worse, if, if anything, and that it's all, um, uh, it, it's all, it's all requiring time. And I'm not sure that everybody's got the time to actually find out what is real and what isn't. Yeah, I, I think it's a, good, it's a good point, Michael. I think your your point about time, one of the things about the dissemination via digital technologies of either misinformation or disinformation or malinformation, and those are the different categories of things, is that it, it, it's fast and it happens at scale. And I think those yeah. are two of the con concerns that people have. The other thing, to go back to the earlier point, Wallace, about that research, though, is that... I'm just having a look at those data now. And, and in fact, what seems to be going on is that most of us are not just using social media and we're not just using social media for news content. That's a, that's a diminishing proportion of social media traffic. In fact, most of us are probably also looking at other online content or we're looking at TV either on demand uh, or it's okay. streaming or we're looking at it in real time. So there's quite a lot of different consumption patterns that are going on. So I think it's quite careful not to be panicked by the headline figure, which is that social media is now the most consumed form of content because it sits alongside of the consumption of other kinds of information that comes from other sources and other platforms ah, as well. Good to know. Ginny Morton. I think the other concerning thing is, though, that yes, people may be, you know, more cynical, if you like, and 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 not necessarily um, uh, assuming everything they read is true. The fact is that we all have these biases, whether they're conscious or unconscious, and so that affects our judgment of what we're reading. So if it confirms something that we already believe or that we sort of believe, then then it. It, it's it's still dangerous, and and that's yes. the hard bit is getting through where people getting through that starting point of where people are looking at it and thinking, well, that just that validates everything I've said or everything I already thought. Um, yeah, and I'm not Richard, I'm not sure what we can do about that. I think Jeff's quite right. That, that positive confirmation bias. You go hunting for stuff that confirms a thing that you thought you felt, and then you wind up in what we all now routinely refer to as a digital bubble. And we know that the algorithms that we use on our social media platforms yeah. are designed to do precisely that. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think, to, I mean, Jenny asked the question about what we can do. And there's plenty of advice around, and a lot of it comes from people like Jess Berens and Shaw, who's got a lovely concept of pre-bunking and, and one of the elements of that. So it's not it's not debunking something after the event with a whole series of fact checks and so on. And oh, so yeah. I mean, it, there might be a place for that, um, but it's limited. Uh, but but Berens and Shaw's idea about pre-bunking, and it goes to, to Jenny's point, I think, is that you, you build in digital literacy requirements and critical thinking requirement, requirements is too strong a word. If, if through the processes of education and socialisation we can, we can raise ourselves to be 
able to ask questions and to interrogate sources of information and just to think around corners rather than taking things as given. All right. Anyway, that's a long, slow solution, but that, that is part of the, of the reset, I think, that we need to have in order to have a population that's capable of, like your uncle, saying that's the wrong yeah. thing. You know, now, we need to ask while I have you here, Professor Shaw, you're a professor of policy. Can I just jump in? Because this has been uh, news this afternoon. I just wanted to get your take on it, your, your, your view on it. I want to bring it up. National leader. Christopher Luxon says a social media post that suggested he was in Te Puki when he was holidaying in Hawaii was a genuine mistake. So he's defending this uh, uh, social media post. He was on a holiday. What do you make of this? Is this is this a bit of a, a slight? Does it mean anything? Or do we actually need to be where we say we are these days? I think it helps to be where we say we are these days um, because we know that uh, even if it's a genuine mistake, and, and frequently, of course, it is, and, and sometimes it isn't, um, but but our but the the actual fact of our presence in a place can be established by somebody who happens to spot us walking down the street if we're a well-known person and and takes a photo and flicks it up um, into the internet. So it does help to be where we say we are. I think, I but, think you know, in the age of social media, you schedule your posts, don't you? So what's what's wrong with Ford scheduling, <laughs> you know, a trip to Te Puki or what have you? Well, you, you, yeah, you might schedule but your all posts needs... and then you schedule changes. <laughs> Michael. Yeah. Well, no, I was just going to say that um, all that needs to happen is that uh, somebody says, no, he wasn't and then his credibility is lost. I think that it's very important that you are consistent with, if you are being specific about where you are, you should be there and you should be able to prove really? that you I mean, don't, don't you forward, don't you forward book your social media post? You sort of um, date it, Jenny Morton, at a certain time. You go, okay, I'm going to post up a, a picture of my uh, child's birthday party uh, tonight at 9.05. So what's the difference? Well, I don't. I, mean, I don't know anyone who does. I think you're does. overestimating our capacity. Yeah. Um, but, but I think, you know, I think um, anyone in sales would do that. So um, my husband's business, for instance, would do that. They schedule social media posts. But you're a politician and, yeah, you're trying to sell something, but you also yeah. got to be credible. And if you're saying yeah. you're somewhere, and it's particularly oh, icky, this one, because he was on holiday in Hawaii, uh, not in Tapuki, and I... It's, I read somewhere you don't often hear Hawaii and Tapuki in the same sentence. But it, it does it does feel like he was, I don't know, being a bit tricky. And maybe he wasn't, I, but that's, and perception okay. is reality. Isn't Final it? thoughts, Richard. There's, well, there's another, there's, just to add to those two comments, uh, both of which I agree with, there is a, there's a broader question around trust. Trust in our institutions, trust yeah. in our public leaders, um, mm. and so we can look at that specific instance and we can say, yeah, nah, or whatever the case may be. Mm. What's really significant about that and and similar instances is that each time this happens, there's just a there's just a further erosion in the, yeah. the general level of trust that people have in in our liberal system of parliamentary democracy, and we all know where that can end, and it's really not a place that we want to go. So I think that there is an, mm-hmm. uh, to, to the point that Jenny made, there is, a, there, is a, there is an added threshold and expectation that you, you, you need to get those things absolutely right if you're in a position of public prominence, because this is only partly about Christopher Luxon. This is more broadly about the, the political class and the, the ties that bind us as a national political community. And when those things fray, 
you create space for the peddlers of misinformation yeah. and disinformation. Uh, and, mm, I agree. And they will step into those spaces. Okay, so it comes back I, I, to the, the, the two topics to tie it in. Brief, actually, uh, we've got to leave it there, actually, Professor Shaw. Kia ora, thank you uh, okay. for, for that. Um, no, it's uh, a time's up, but what do you think about it? A post that says you're into Pukki on a particular day, published on a day when you are in Hawaii? Your thoughts? Or Do even you, anywhere. Or even I, anywhere. I think there's a risk that it, uh, uh, what I find a risk is that I actually end up just withdrawing and not engaging in any of this stuff because I just don't believe enough of it. And that's not good either.